Let's do it. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 25 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Monday, March 30th, 2020. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost, and on this episode of XCP, we are joined by Dead Cells producer and CEO of Evil Empire, Steve Philby, to discuss bringing the critically and commercially successful Dead Cells to Xbox Game Pass and the recently released Bad Sea DLC. We'll chat Xbox Live bandwidth constraints amidst social distancing demands and offer a review of id Software's Doom Eternal. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And that Xbox ecosystem has been put under a tremendous amount of pressure in these past few weeks as we all exercise social distancing. So much so that Microsoft, not specifically Xbox, but Microsoft, has announced that they are experiencing a 775% increase in demand of its cloud services ranging from Xbox Live to the Azure needs for things like Microsoft Teams and Windows Virtual Desktop. Now you have to imagine that this is a fantastic litmus test for what it's going to be that Azure can do for us in the future. As the the vast global public practices social distancing, the demands for working from home as well as gaming have increased tenfold, seemingly more than tenfold perhaps. Uh, And I want to read from you a few quotes from a blog post that details uh, a number of things from Xbox support and Azure cloud support and how that might impact your Xbox media experiences. Xbox Live services are being actively monitored to ensure that they are being optimized for services and gamers worldwide. At the same time, Microsoft is taking proactive steps to plan for high usage periods, which includes taking prudent measures for publishing partners to deliver higher bandwidth activities like game updates to happen during off-peak hours. Now, this is a wise precaution, given that some of the updates that we see can be as much as 50 to 100 gigabytes, depending upon the game or the type of game. So the idea to push those updates during off-peak hours is a wise one, particularly as people's gaming time and cloud needs are increased exponentially. What this has to do with xCloud or how it may impact xCloud remains to be seen as the post did not detail that. But to continue with that, to streamline moderation and ensure best experiences for our community, we're making small adjustments as this Xbox support post. We've temporarily turned off the ability to upload custom gamer picks, club picks, and club backgrounds. For now, existing Xbox Gamer Picks will still work, and Microsoft is in the process of lightening the load for its moderation team to have to check for new updates during this period. With more people staying home amid the growing pandemic lockdown, many online game services are feeling the pressure. As reported earlier this month, Steam is experiencing a record number of online users and in-game players, and a new concurrent online user record of 20 million with 6.2 million in-game was registered during this time. So we're seeing these demands happen not just with Xbox Live, not just with the work from home aspect of the Azure Cloud Service, 
but this now serves to be a wonderful test for just what type of capacities these servers can handle, what gaming is going to mean going forward with different levels of bandwidth and bandwidth demand. Will working from home um, after this pandemic has passed, will that become more the norm? Will those internet needs and those ISPs from home need to be uh, more evenly divided from just the business sense? There's a lot of questions that are stemming from this. For its part, Xbox Live, I've noticed, has struggled in, at different points along the way, but has been quickly back up and maintained. There are here and there points where I wasn't able to download a game or update something as quickly as I would have liked. But in large part, my game time has remained unhindered, which is an impressive feat to be sure, uh, because this is a global situation that to likes the likes of which we have not seen. So my hat goes off to any and all in the gaming verse who are working to bring gaming to people, whether it's in the Xbox community or otherwise, because I believe that gaming can be a wonderful escape for us, and we are, overall, I would say, as a community, doing quite well given the circumstances. And so I tip my hat to both those who are providing the services and those making use of it in the right way. Tip up the hat to you. Keep your heads up. In that same line of thinking, many are wondering what COVID-19 will mean for the Xbox Series X and the games that are slated to come out later this year in terms of delays. Will the box be delayed? Will games be delayed? Well, Xbox head Matt Booty had a statement to make on that very topic, and we'd already heard Microsoft double down in early March that the Xbox Series X would not be delayed. But Matt Booty provides and sheds just a bit more light on this topic, saying, quote, We know that gaming connects people during times of social distancing, and we are committed to delivering the highest quality Xbox Game Studios games for our global community of players. At the same time, the health and safety of our Xbox Game Studios development teams is our top priority. Each studio is facing unique challenges and constraints depending upon the particular location, and many of our external development partners around the world are similarly affected. We are supporting our studio leaders to make the right decisions for their teams and their individual games during this challenging time. End quote. Now, many have to wonder whether or not Halo Infinite, the flagship title for the Xbox Series X, will be delayed. And the simple fact is, we don't know. As Matt Booty correctly states, the priority and safety, the priority is the safety of the employees and workers, and the resources that come from working at home uh, might indeed be limited for a number of different aspects of game development. Some productivity might increase in that there is less social time, maybe there's less interaction or interruption, and for some personalities that might be ripe for the taking and perfect for what, what it is they want to do. For others, however, it could be a detriment if you don't have the particular tools you need in order to complete your work that could delay whatever it is and bottleneck whatever it is that your role might be on a development team. So you have to wonder how much longer this global pandemic, if it lasts longer, how much it might impact what it is Xbox Game Studios are doing. We've seen in these early months, we had Ori and the Will of the Wisps, Bleeding Edge. Later this month in April, you'll see Gears Tactics launching, along with Wasteland 3 and Minecraft Dungeons, all from Xbox Game Studios being launched into uh, our gaming verse. But after that, what does it mean for Xbox Game Studios? Uh, I would imagine we do see some delays within and without of Microsoft's first-party portfolio. And that's okay. I don't think it's fair or justified for gamers to be upset by this. Whether or not the Xbox Series X launches on time, and Microsoft did double down and say that it will launch this holiday 2020, whether or not it does or doesn't, the priority must, of course, be the safety 
and health of those involved in creating these things. Uh, whether or not it gets delayed, I don't know. But I do know that whatever it is, I'll be happy to support those who are doing good work, who are doing right by their customers, and who are doing right by their employees. So here's hoping that we see games not be delayed, that Matt Booty's words hold true, and that COVID-19 doesn't impact people beyond simple delays. In this past week, I spent quite a bit of time reviewing Doom Eternal. In the previous episode, I discussed my initial impressions for what Doom Eternal was, but now I want to offer a more formal and official review of it. Doom 2016 was without question one of the best shooters ever made. Doom Eternal, though, capitalizes on the best parts of Doom 2016, but stumbles mightily in a few key design decisions. Mobility is top-notch in Doom Eternal. The game is faster and more fluid than any other shooter in its class, maybe any other shooter, period. The game looks absolutely gorgeous, and its speed is never once hindered by the incredible visuals. And when I discuss and talk about incredible visuals, I mean that in both visual art design and in regards to frame rate. The art direction is brilliantly, brilliantly encapsulating of the war between heaven and hell, showcasing a biblical level of scale in the architecture, and the architecture that is reminiscent of something from, say, Dante's Inferno. Moreover, though, we see these hellscapes make their way into modern Earth, as that is the premise for the story, that hell has arrived on Earth after Doom 2016's destruction of the Mars bases and Mars colonies. The modern Earth and the two hellscapes blend as well as you might expect. Hellship intrusions cause destruction on an epic scale that if the game lets you breathe for a moment and you take a moment to stop and look, you will be in awe over. There is a sense of scale that really is showcased in Doom Eternal and showcases what it is Doom Eternal is going for, and that is put simply, more. There are more enemies, more abilities, more sights to see, and above all, more challenges. Doom Eternal equips you to handle all of these challenges, and there is a difficulty here on console that I doubt my PC brethren are managing. The difficulty on console has to do with cramming all those necessary abilities to handle each encounter onto a controller, and the sheer level of intensity that the enemies put forth to you make it quite difficult to handle all of your abilities at one time. I found my hands hurting multiple points throughout my time playing Doom Eternal. It's not surprising to note that the game would likely feel better on a mouse and keyboard by way of the reduced stress that your hands would be forced to endure from a more simplified layout and more options. On a controller, it simply feels too busy. In fact, I was forced to drop my difficulty down to easy in the early portions of the game, and only then did I find myself able to manage the massive hordes of enemies that were thrown my way. Doom Eternal requires you to rewire your brain from a traditional shooter in that the only way to survive an attack is to attack back fiercely. Your ammo is again replenished, just like in Doom 2016, by well-timed chainsaws to lesser enemies and the gore attacks that are showcased from a stumbling enemy and showcase a brilliant level of violence that you are rewarded with by way of health and armor. I said in my initial impressions of the game that balancing like th these things is like listening to jazz music, and I double down on that analogy. The game will speed up, and it expects you to keep pace with it. Only once you learn to speak the language of Doom Eternal and play its way will you find success. However, once you find that rhythm, you'll be doing nothing short of stunning your enemies, and you will be in awe of what the Doom Slayer is able to accomplish. You will feel powerful and foreboding, and you'll feel like an unstoppable force that is facing down an immovable object and winning. 
In fact, my only real gripes that come with Doom Eternal stem from design decisions. In between brilliant combat sections are first-person platforming elements, and these stem from already impressive amounts of movement chains that you get in combat arenas like monkey bars and double dashes. However, when faced with these first-person platforming elements, they add a mix of precise platforming and wall sticking that seems at odds with what is traditional Doom gameplay. That's not to say it's difficult to imagine our Doom Slayer performing these feats. Indeed, it makes perfect sense to be such a powerful protagonist that you'd be able to do these things and you would accomplish them in the world. But it's playing them that I found little joy in, not to mention the fact that there are secrets and collectibles, of which there are aplenty, found by way of these platforming portions, and it seems to derail the game's already hectic momentum. It's likely that these portions were meant to give the player a moment to breathe, but in actuality I found them to be more stressful than the game proper. I'd also add that the levels drag on for far too long, and each seem to outstay its welcome and lead to me wondering why we don't simply split these levels up for a more simplified experience. I found that I would probably enjoy each of those levels if they were half in length, but I got to play the full game as it stands. Some levels took me as long as an hour, which for me is far too long for a fast-paced first-person shooter like Doom Eternal. Make no mistake though, for all of these gripes, Doom Eternal does something special. The combat is fast, the combat is fluid, the visuals are stunning, and there is a healthy amount of replayability and a more than serviceable story here. Doom Eternal is highly recommended and showcases the absolute best of what id shooter prowess has to offer. Just be ready for a challenge and an impressive though imperfect experience. As we're set to close out this portion of the show prior to our interview with Steve Philby of Motion Twin, I want to thank all of you for listening to the show thus far. Amidst social distancing, it can be difficult to discuss news and topics, even in your own entertainment sphere, that might relate to COVID-19. And I know that's a struggle, but I want you to know that I'm here for you, and I hope that you are doing quite well. And do your best to escape into a world that is lovely and comforting for you. If that means slaying demons in Doom Eternal have at it. If it means planting trees and having fun with Tom Nook, have it that as well. It looks like Game Pass is set to provide another slew of games, including Power Rangers Battle for the Grid, which is a super fun game to play, uh, along with Near Automata. Looks like it's set to come in. And rumor has it, just prior to recording, we're going to be having Modern Warfare 2 remastered hitting this week. Now, whether or not that comes to pass remains to be seen. For my part, I'm greatly looking forward to Resident Evil 3, and I would imagine by this time next week, I'll have impressions for you uh, to discuss on next week's show. But for now, as we close out, I want to thank Steve Philby of Motion Twin and the CEO of Evil Empire for donating his time. In this next interview, you'll hear Steve Philby of Motion Twin discuss what it meant for Dead Cells to hit the market, the expectations that it was set to have, its success on Xbox, and on Xbox Game Pass. He'll discuss the decision to bring a game that is commercially successful, like Dead Cells, to Xbox Game Pass whilst providing free updates dates, and then what the Bad Seed DLC meant for them on a business scale. Steve was a wonderful and fantastic guest, and I would hope that you would reach out to him on Twitter at IndieCatapult and let him know what you thought of the interview. And then, of course, you can always message me and find me on Twitter at InsipidGhost or email me InsipidGhost at gmail.com. I will see you in the streaming verse, in the gamer verse, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. Take care, guys. All right, we are very pleased now to welcome Steve Philby, who fills many different roles in working with Motion Twin, from marketing manager to producer and now CEO of his own company as well. Uh, the developers had an extremely successful Metroidvania roguelike in Dead Cells. Steve, you're here to discuss a number of things. Welcome to the show. 
Hey, thanks for having me on, man. It's quite an introduction to give you with, with a number of different titles, and that is because you have a unique relationship with Motion Twin, uh, which is a cooperative. Can you talk about what it is specifically you do with Motion Twin, the roles that you fill, and then your own roles outside of that? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, uh, I guess the elevator pitch was that I've been working with Motion Twin in one form or another since, like, 2014. Uh, so came on as, like, their very first attempt at a marketing dude. They wanted someone to help them out with sort of, like, um, French to, to English translations. And I sort of had a look and was like, yeah, what you really need is probably some marketing and some business sort of support and that kind of stuff. And so, I'm like, all right, well, this guy seems all right. We'll give him a go. Uh, worked with them as like a full Motion Twin, you know, co-op member uh, up until the end of 2016. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, Motion Twin's a flat hierarchy, no boss, workers cooperative. Uh, at that time, uh, I left, started my own company, um, working as like the marketing and comms dude for hire uh, for, for Motion Twin. And I also helped out the Shiro Games guys with their game, Northgard, um, and a few others along the way. And uh, then uh, come last year, uh, wait, no, 2018, mm -hmm. um, when we'd sort of done all of the launch activities and Dead Cells was up and it was out, and, you know, it had become the success that it has become today. Uh, Motion Twin were kind of like, you know what, we're done with Dead Cells. I think it's time to, to move on to something new. Mm -hmm. And so uh, myself, another ex-Motion Twin guy, and some of the guys that I was working with, as the marketing and everything, we sort of got together and we we're like, well, what if we started a studio off the back of this and uh, we take care of like all of the, the game as a service or the, the continued support uh, for, for Dead Cells while Motion Twin work on the next game. And then mm -hmm. when, they're, when they're ready to launch that, we can help them launch it like we did with the Dead Cells one. And so yeah. that's how Evil Empire was born. I still officially wear two hats. Like uh, I have marketing manager business cards for Motion Twin and I do that job full time. So if you know, if you're from the external, like if you're from outside of the Motion Twin universe and you want to talk to, to Motion Twin, you go through me. And then I run my own studio, building more dead cells, uh, getting ready to work on our own projects and doing up a, a couple of other cool things on the side. That has to be exciting to balance so many different roles and working in a cooperative where associates share essentially, from my understanding, the same salary throughout start to finish. Yep. Interesting. What is it? That's got, that's, is that, that sounds cool. It also sounds weird. Yeah. Well, you know, like I said, I left. Um, so that, that would give you some idea of where I was sort of up to with that. I mean, you know, having said that, it's not unique. I think there's probably been about 40 people who've come through Motion Twin. Uh, there's mm -hmm. seven of them at this current point in time um so i mean it's great like i mean honestly it's a really fantastic experience the kind of uh ownership that you can get on a project and the kind of the opportunities that that you have in terms of like a group of people if you can convince them that uh an idea is is worthwhile or that you are worthwhile as an as a potential associate then then they give you a chance that you probably wouldn't get in a more uh, traditional you know straight up and down structure so that was that was that was a really interesting experience for us. I mean, obviously the the equal pay equal say thing is is fantastic, but I mean it also confronts you with uh, everyone else who is equal. So you know you have to prove your point. You have to be ready to to fight for what you believe in. So um, I mean it's it's not something that we chose to reproduce uh, at Evil Empire, but we've mm -hmm. tried to keep a lot of that kind of like democratic DNA in the sense that like why would you not want everyone to be able to to contribute to the game? You know, like if I don't know if the if the HR person has like some awesome idea for a design for, um, I don't know, a weapon or something like that, like why would you not allow them to, to put that information in? Uh, and that's, I think, what, what really made Dead Cells what it actually is today. You know, 
like that collaborative approach where you have mm-hmm. to actually justify yourself to every single time you want to do something. Interesting. That, that it, it, to me, that is a very cool concept, particularly as we hear so much about how studios are currently building each of their games. Now, Dead Cells launched in, I believe, August of 2018, and it went out onto multiple platforms. Can you talk to me about the initial launch of the game and how it impacted the studio, the idea of the break-even point that, that you discussed, I think, mm-hmm. versus the, the, I would argue, massive success it had both critically and commercially? Yeah. Yeah, so... um. I mean, we, we I, I distinctly remember sitting around uh, talking about it with the uh, with the guys, and well, actually with Pascal. You know, I don't you, I don't know if you guys are all working from home, but it's the whole virus thing over here, so we're all working from home. And I decided to actually bunk with um with uh, Pascal, who's the the current sort of like he wears the CEO hat at uh, Motion Twin. And I remember sitting down talking to him, being like, man. I don't know, this is risky as hell, like roguelite, all that kind of stuff. And we, and we were sitting around and we were like, oh, what do we need? What do we actually need? And I think we came up um, that we needed to do something like 20, 25,000 copies uh, mm-hmm. to break even and give us enough time to potentially panic make another game um, mm-hmm. before basically the ship went down and we all had to go to McDonald's and you know, flip burgers or, or something. Mm-hmm. And uh and so as we, you know, we started building up to launch and we started getting the wish list that we had and we started getting the, the visibility that we had and everything and we started getting the player feedback, particularly from like smaller streamers and influencers, we, you know, we were starting to be like, okay, well, maybe this 20,000 thing, you know, like 20,000 over six months, that's probably doable. I reckon we can manage that. Um, and so we, we, were, we were pretty confident that we'd be able to do something like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you had told me that we'd do that in the first day, you yeah, we, we weren't ready for that. That was, that was a bit wild. Sure. I mean, and I would imagine uh, leading up to Dead Cells, a lot of the things that I've heard you discuss in, in prior was that you wanted the developers to be uh, sampling the competition, recognizing who it is, uh, who's going to be making games in that same genre, what it is they're doing well, what it is they're doing uh, poorly, and how do you capitalize on that. Can you talk to me about that strategic thinking and what the expectation points for, for you guys were on the development side? Yeah, so I mean that's 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 kind of like my big thing that I'm always trying to push when I when I talk to to young developers is just to like don't forget that you're not developing in a vacuum. You know, you don't live in some like magical bubble world where all of the the other studios who are working hard out there on their games don't exist. Um, and so, like, if you're gonna make, for example, like you take Dead Cells, if you're gonna make a roguelite metroidvania games so that's like two quite competitive niches like if you look at the top 10 roguelites you look at the top 10 metroidvanias on steam on on nintendo on any other platforms you're like okay you're going up against some big hitters like if you Mm -hmm. if you want to make a hit game like you have to be as good if not better than the top three of both of those genres at the same time so Mm -hmm. i mean you you better have played those games. If your designer's like, oh, you yeah, know, I've never played Binding of Isaac or I've never played Rogue Legacy or I've never played you, you kind of, you, you got you to gotta ask yourself some questions like, okay, so you're going to make one of these games, but you haven't tested out the flagship, um, you know, like things that exist in that particular genre. It sort of seems strange. And I think like mm-hmm. video games are a trope-braced um, uh, sort of media. And so they, they build upon each other, you know, like mm-hmm. they, they stack up. It's like, okay, even if your game's not directly like in a, in an existing niche, like we were with the roguelite Metroidvania, you know, it might have, you know, elements from some games. Like a lot of people don't realize it, but we, we've got like a rally mechanic in the game, which comes straight from Bloodborne, you know, like there's the idea of like extreme difficulty and um, punishment, you know, mm-hmm. from the damage that the enemies do that sort of comes from Dark Souls. I mean, there's like all of these references and it's that sort of like 
knowledge of the culture uh, mm-hmm. and knowledge of the of the milieu that you're entering in. Like if you're going to make a car, for example, you would just you, you wouldn't hire someone who's never driven a car before. You'd be like, sure. like that doesn't make any sense. So you need people who who really understand what it is they're building. And in order mm-hmm. to do that, you got to look at the competition. You got to play the games. So like, mm-hmm. That's that's the expectation. Is know what you're talking about, I guess, when you when you start building the thing. Now, as a gamer, I mean, I, I open up Dead Cells, I'm playing through it, I'm having a blast with the platforming elements and the combat, but I don't even, I, this sounds so strange, but the roguelite aspect doesn't kick in for me nearly as much uh, mentally until I've played through several times. When you guys are developing it, uh, what's the development time, and when you're finding things that you want to work on or nitpick, uh, how much does player feedback play a role in that? So, like, there's it's sort of two phases. Like, I mean, the early phase of that is just going to be us sitting around. And, you know, it'll be as well. So, like, something it's a committee, it's not a committee. It's just two people drinking a coffee and talking about it. But, like, at the time, like, Seb Benau, um, the, the sort of lead designer, and Tom Abasso, the art director, were the only two on the project. And so they're working away at it, you know, and they're talking. And at some stage, you'll be like, hey, hey, Matt, we're going to get one of the other guys and bring him in and be talking about it. And so then it'll end up with all of us in design meetings sitting around saying, okay, well, you know, like this system that you're trying to put in here, this sucks because it was done in this game over here. And like, oh, I haven't played that game. Okay, well, cool. Let's buy it on the, on the motion to Steam account. Everybody mm-hmm. test it. Um, and and that way we're also to get up to speed and decide whether or not that is a good mechanic. Like people have to be able to, 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 to justify their, um, their decisions, whether it's design or art or whatever it is. And then, um, once we consider that we've got something um, based on the feedback, based on comparing it to the market and everything else that's going on, once we've got that sort of core thing, then we take it to the players. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, that can be starting out in like, we took it to some, some super small little gaming conventions, like in like, you know, tiny towns out in France and stuff like that. And then we started mm-hmm. taking it to bigger conventions, you know, like EGX or Paris Games Week or, or PAX or whatever and getting the feedback there. And then we started putting it out on the internet, um, you know, releasing it to like, let's say a thousand super small streamers and then watching them like actually logging onto the streams and getting the feedback. Mm-hmm. So we're continuously getting some varied form of feedback. We did play tests where we bribe people to come to the office with pizza and beer, um, mm-hmm. like way back before we started taking it to events. So there's always that feedback coming in. Um, it's like a gut check for us. You know, it's like mm-hmm. you put something in front of them maybe a build that's designed to test a couple of different mechanics, you know, like traps or I don't know, a roll as opposed to a, a dash or that kind of thing. And then you, you see how people react to it, preferably mm-hmm. not influencing them if you can. Um, and, and then all the way up to early access. And it was like completely critical to, to the success of the game. Like there are so many things that we thought were good that we've changed because the community was like, you know, this thing that you really love. Well, <laughs> and, um, or, or just like ideas that have come out like, hey, how about you do this? And like, yeah, yeah hmm, we could do something with that. Yeah. Any any examples stand out as strong or not? <sighs> Custom mode, probably. Like that was a big one. Um, so we had people sort of like saying to us like, hey, we love the game. Honestly, we really do. But as you unlock more and more things, you end up with a really sort of like full loot table. And so you don't get to play exactly the game that you wanted to play. And that was what was really great about the feeling of the game when you first started was that, oh, you unlock that weapon. And then you're like, oh man, this weapon's really cool. And then when you die, because there's only a few weapons in your loot table, you're going to keep getting it. But then as you can, you know, you sort of crowd the weapon out, they were like, well, why can't we just select, you know, a subsection of weapons so that we have a chance of just getting these weapons here. And so we didn't, we wouldn't have thought of that as like a solution um, until they kept being like, yeah, come on, give us that. And now 
like loads of people play with a custom mode. So yeah, that was probably a good good example. That is that is super cool. Now you guys launch again in, in uh, 2018, and again rave reviews, rave commercial success, uh, and you have stated that the Switch surprised you in terms of its sales. How did the being broad, of course, Xbox, mm. PlayStation, and Switch? How did they compare number wise? Uh, as far as like sales numbers go. Steam had a year's worth of advance, uh, mm -hmm. so you know they're still number one in, in terms of units. Um, mm -hmm. But then we're also available in China over there, and China's a huge market for us. Uh, so there's there's a big influence from that side of things over there. Uh, but I think if we had have come out uh, day and date, Switch probably would have outsold uh, PC just mm -hmm. because of that. You know, it's run based. Like you, you, I I play it all the time. Like I'll just be like, all right, I'm going to. Mm -hmm the bathroom with my switch and i'm gonna take it you know i'm gonna do like part of a run or just before bed or you know like whatever it is that sure. you do on a train in the morning or something like that um so it's like the, the platform really feels like it, it goes well with it but yeah mm -hmm. like as it as it stands today pc switch um and then the other guys sort of duking it out for for third place so now let me ask you this. You guys launched Dead Cells into Xbox Game Pass in September 2019. Can you talk to me about the the reasons for this amidst all if you're if you're having financial success, why launch into a subscription service and how has that changed the reception of the game? Um so I mean we looked at it as like um how excuse me, how can this um how can this platform damage the value the perceived value of the of the game and so then obviously we, we we sign a deal to be part of xbox game pass and that deal has to be worth any potential risk that we're taking and so the game pass um, deal that was put together made us feel comfortable that um, any risk we were taking as as far as being part of a subscription service was mm -hmm. outweighed by the security that it offered or just like the strategic partnership because like the xbox dudes are cool people so it's like you know we want to work with them um if they're providing us with cool opportunities and you know we know that there's this whole next gen thing coming out and we've got a few games that we're working on in the future like we're thinking about like the long game like you know we want to make games for well hopefully ever or until we get sick of it you know what i mean until we want to go and i don't know just do something else mm -hmm. so it's kind of like okay well what what's our relationship with xbox look like come you know, game two, game three, game four in that PC console space. Mm -hmm. The subscription thing can, I mean, I think like I, to be perfectly, like, to be perfectly honest, I think that we have plenty of examples from other parts of uh, the entertainment industry that show that the subscription model is like, it's kind of bad news for, for creators. Like there's nothing that's really shown that it's going to increase revenues or increase uh, the the control that creators have over things so i mean ultimately mm -hmm. i think it's probably gonna be complicated mm -hmm. having said that like i mean i'm a massive consumer of subscription services so i can mm -hmm. see why uh it's an interesting uh, thing for consumers to do but right now i mean xbox game pass really just offers extra things to xbox players um and a lot of them buy it anyway you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like they know that it's going into the Game Pass program. It's going to come out or maybe they want to play the DLC and to get the DLC, like you're going to buy the DLC, but then once it's out of Game Pass, well, then you're going to need to buy the new game. So it's, it's kind of like, it's encouraged. It's kind of like a demo system. You know what I mean? We see it as mm -hmm. that, like the way, I think the way that the Xbox guys have set up their Game Pass program is actually pretty inducive to encouraging people to actually say, hey, I like this game. I like these developers. I want to find out more about them. All right, they're cool people. Like, let me support them. You know what I mean? Um, and so you see, you actually see 
Game Pass subscribers still purchasing the game and supporting it? Because you guys, in your previous talks, you've talked about avoiding the discounting war by creating new content and keeping uh, the content alive with Dead Cells. Yep. You're seeing players continue to buy and support regardless of being in that service? Yeah, well, it's like, like I said, because the way that Game Pass is set up, like DLC, paid DLC content, because like we do a lot of free updates, a lot of free content. So, that, you know, if you're in Game Pass, you get all that free stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But if you if you then want to access the paid DLC content, you got to buy that. And so it's kind of like people at that point, they say, OK, well, this was cool. I'm getting my like, what is it like 10 bucks a month? I'm getting my 10 bucks a month value out of it because I get access to all of these new games. I get to play CFEs or Gears or whatever it is that I'm playing. And as an accessory, I get all like I get to test out all these cool indie games. But I've, what we found so far is that a lot of Xbox players uh, are kind of like, wow, I never would have played this game. Or I've been waiting to play it. Now I've got an Xbox on Game Pass, but I'm going to buy it anyway. So, I mean, you know, it's obviously there was a dip uh, when we first entered the program in terms of sales. But that seems mm -hmm. to have stabilized now. So, I mean, it's like it's it doesn't so far we haven't we haven't seen a, a, any kind of downside to to what we put together so it's pretty cool interesting. interesting now you've talked and discussed before about how making a game streamable can do a lot for the game's publicity and sharing it how do streamers or those who are able to share it play a role in in dead cell success or other motion twin projects in their success i know you have twitch integration being in game pass might allow more people to access it and then share it there how do how do streamers and stream uh shareability play how does that play a role in dead cell success going forward yeah so i mean it's something that we've been working on for quite a long time um it, recently is like the streaming program so initially when we launched i'll start from the beginning when we launched like streamers were a huge part of the buzz building uh for the game like at that mm -hmm. particular time it was kind of like peak streaming i feel in like 2017 like lots of variety players moving around and bigger accounts you know like lyric and those kind of guys and so the, the idea is like, how do you get in front of, how do you get all this visibility? If this is where all the gamers are watching, how do you get there? And so we found that small streamers are super passionate about building their communities. Um, mm -hmm. And they're stoked to receive a game for free uh, and get exclusive access to something early. So they'll play your game. Um, and then their friends are also streamers. And so they'll be like, oh, hey, and you know, and you've sent them a, an email that says, oh, if you've got any friends who want a key, just hit this link. And then and so you're kind of trying to build this like snowball effect where you get smaller guys who have got bigger guys as friends and, 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 and it's sort of like that snowballs. And so that was how we built um, part of our like our, our marketing strategy. So we're hitting the, the influencers early, starting small and building towards the big guys. And so we had like the bigger guys actually like banging on the door when it was actually launched. They were like, hey, I've seen someone so playing this game. You know, he's a friend of mine, blah, blah, blah. This is cool. And and then from there, it's more about like, okay, you know, Dead Cells was one action game of the year at the Game Awards um, in 2000 and what was it, 19 or 18? I can't remember. I think yeah. it was 18. But yeah, it was 18. It's just, uh, I'm still confused about it being 2020 and like almost like, you know, into the second I, half of the year already. Like, I don't even know what day it is this week. <laughs> I've lost that yeah, ability. The, the working from home and stuff as far as that goes. You know, so then we were kind of like, okay, well, how do we keep this game visible? Um, mm -hmm. We don't want it to, to drop, to fade off into to non-existence. We don't want to be in a situation where the only way we can make the game visible is by, you know, throwing in the discount dumpster at like 75% off or something like that. So each time we, re we release an update, we're doing the same thing with the streamers. We're like, hey, you've been streaming the game for ages. Like if you, just so you know, we've got the streaming program. So like mm -hmm. if you've been streaming the game, stick your name in there and 
have a look so you might be eligible for a t-shirt you might be eligible for a signed copy of the game you know like trying to reward people to say hey thanks for streaming the game thanks for supporting us um, so it's kind of like paid marketing in the sense that we're giving out swag to people you know it's good for streamers because then they can be like hmm if i stream this much then i can get a couple of t-shirts and i can give those t-shirts away to other people who are watching my stream so it helps build channels so it's like we're trying to find win-win ways um of helping content creators create interesting stuff mm-hmm. build their channel and then obviously have our game um, be the content that they're they're sharing brilliant brilliant and i would imagine given all the the free updates that you guys do apart from paid dlc that has to help as well now you you mentioned earlier taking your switch to the bathroom or having a quick go uh, before bedtime or anything like that does the idea of streaming of cloud streaming games something I'm thinking like Project X Cloud or whatever Sony's equivalent in next gen is that something that appeals to a game specifically like Dead Cells where you have those quick bursts of play is that something you guys are looking forward to in any way shape or form like it's it's a bit of an unknown at the moment it's kind of like we, we the, 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 to, to be perfectly honest with you we just haven't had the time to dig down and look at what that's going to mean for us um mm-hmm. like right now we've been so busy just like you know building out the team like last year we went from like evil empire went from zero to 10 people um like this year we're, we're almost we're already at like almost pardon me we're already at almost 15 people um so we've been so busy just trying to make more dead cells because the community is still like super keen for the game and so we're like all right well we got all these crazy ideas that we've had in the backlog for loads of time we got all these new people who have coming in with fresh crazy ideas like how do we keep building that and that that kind of stuff actually we're hiring at the moment a tool developer and his role will be to build those kind of things so that you know when i finally get the time to sit down um, with someone from xbox or or someone from sony or whoever it is to say hey okay why should we be on uh on xcloud or whatever it is um if it if it looks good to us and if it makes sense then we'll probably do it again and it's like, it's one of those sort of like, yeah, we're kind of scared of that distribution model because it feels like it could be a slippery slope into leading to a path where platform holders have all the power again and, you know, gated communities and and just lower revenue coming in because um, mm-hmm. usually those things are based on like playtime. So it's like, okay, you know, we've got like a pool of minutes that were played and like 95,785 million of those minutes were played on Fortnite and two minutes were played on your game. And so you get, you know, whatever, two over 95,785 million minutes worth of revenue generated by the trains worth. Wow. So, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, it's a bit more complex than that than that. But basically it's the Spotify model. So it's like can be a bit terrifying for small creators. Certainly, yeah, I can imagine. So now we talked about the free updates. You guys did a paid update recently in the Bad Sea DLC. Can you talk to me a bit about about that launch, how it went, and if you guys are pleased with it and uh the reception. Yeah, so overall it went really, really well. You know, like we've been doing free updates for the game it's like sort of what how we built the thing like obviously we started in early access so the you know there was a promise like okay we're going to build this um and then you go through the early access period so you do all your updates free until you get to that that release point and we increase the price as we went like okay well we feel like this is worth this now but then we've added all this stuff so now we think it's worth this and so we started out at like 17 bucks and now it's worth 25 that's what we're asking on on steam and, and whatnot and then so we did another year's worth of free updates and you know revenue start dropping off and so we're like okay well how long can we keep this up like the community is begging for x feature y feature whatever but mm-hmm. if revenue keeps dropping off either we have to discount the hell out of the game or we mm-hmm. have to ask people to support us and so we were like all right well let's give it a go um with paid dlc and see what we see what happens and we were apprehensive to say the least about mm-hmm. that because you know paid dlc gets a poor rap um mm-hmm. 
and you have to be very careful about how the perceived value of the DLC is received by the community. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's something that we've been talking about since like the beginning of early access. You know, we have always said that we didn't know what would happen in the future. Maybe we'd do DLC, maybe we'd do better DLC. Like we didn't, you know, so it's not something that we've ever hidden or, or like changed our tune on. But we wanted to be very careful that the quality was there, that the content was there, and that generally people were um, understood that when they pay for a DLC, they're not just getting the DLC, they're getting all the free updates that we're going to keep putting out. You know, like mm-hmm. for example, we've got an alpha of uh, um, our next free update which is like six new monsters that are spread out through the whole game like rebalancing the entire difficulty of the game like if you bought the DLC like you directly sponsored that content and you're also paying for Motion Twins next game that they're working on Uh, so it's just like getting that message across and so far it has worked like I think we're at We've got almost 500 reviews on Steam, and it's very positive. Like, like if we had 500 reviews, it would probably be overwhelmingly positive. I'll have to have a have to fact check me on that. But um, so I mean, globally, like our community is super stoked with it. Everyone's everyone's happy financially. It was a success. Um, you know, the press were were happy with the thing. So like, we we're we're stoked. We feel like it's validated the model. But it also showed us like a lot of the positive reviews were like, yeah, you got to support these guys because of all the free content they put out. So it sort of for us made it real that like the free content strategy, which was a conscious decision that we made, uh, was working. And so if mm-hmm. we wanted to pay DLC, well, you have to have free content updates with it as well. So that's, you know, that was the plan since end of 2018 will remain the plan now because we tested it out and it worked. So yeah, like mm-hmm. overall, we're super happy with the... Uh, the, the paid DLC we're super happy with the community the way they reacted to it like we didn't get you know review bonds we didn't get angry people with torch and pitchforks just saying like oh paid DLC sucks so get out of here well I can tell you uh without hesitation during the course of the interview I was able to pick up and buy the bad seed DLC for only like four four fifty or five bucks just because for being on game pass so that it to me is even even cooler that I can support you guys in two different systems in that particular way uh, and so that's exciting now you mentioned Motion Twins next game. Now I, I don't want to press you, but I just have to ask because you're on <laughs> here. Can you talk? Can Can you talk about anything, or do you want to keep guys want to keep it quiet for right now? Yeah. So as far as mechanics go, we're not talking about anything yet. Um, mm-hmm. It was like a, a PC Gamer article uh, where we had um, Tom Senior uh, come over and visit the office and stuff, where he talked about a lot of the stuff that were that they're. Well, I say we. You know, I'm technically not part of them, but I'm still working with them. Like that, that they're working on. They've just sort of coalesced around the beginnings of what I feel like will be a prototype in the next couple of weeks. Obviously, this whole COVID situation is slowing everything down, but mm-hmm. um, they're they're moving towards something, and that's about all I, I can say for the moment. I was, I was sure I'm gonna get my butt kicked when 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 we finally get back into the office. Yeah, we we don't need any XCP uh, uh, bad will on, on that one. <laughs> Steve, I can't thank you enough for your time today, for your insight. I find all of it so fascinating in the way that you operate with, with uh, Evil Empire and, and then working with Motion Twin and then the way that they've brought content to players through multiple platforms, subscription service and otherwise. It is such a fascinating thing. Thank you for donating your time today. Hey, thank you, man. Thanks for having us on. It's always great to sort of like try and show players what's happening actually behind the scenes to make all of this thing, all this gaming thing happen. Absolutely. Well, you can find uh, Dead Cells on any number of platforms at this point. It is available on Xbox Game Pass, uh, and the Bad Seed DLC is available there as well for five bucks. Steve, have a great one, man. Thank you. You too. Take care.